Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. I do believe it's time that we discover what it means to have true biblical joy. Can you say joy? Smile. Smile. There it is. I believe the church needs I believe the church needs to learn once again that it is normal for Christians to have joy. <laughs> Some of you are getting very uncomfortable right now because there's all this laughing in church. We're supposed to be serious during this sermon. Listen, I believe seriously if we do take a hold of joy and we take a hold of the joy that, of the Lord that God has for us, I believe that our church will actually be an exciting place to invite people in and to encounter the love of God. <laughs> now listen, I'll never force a response from you. I'll never force the clapping. I would never ask Adam to play a track behind me to get us going. <laughs> But I think we can be sure that he wants us to be happy. He wants us to be filled with joy and be excited about it. Honestly, in any other phase of life, if you would invite your friend to a party that you were having or a picnic that you were having at your house, you would make sure that the environment was set to have fun, would you not? Right? You would want it to be upbeat. You would want people to leave feeling lifted up and encouraged. So the same should happen when we come into the house of the Lord. If you're ever going to a concert, you know, uh, Toby Mack or whoever you, you guys listen to, you probably wouldn't stand here like this, just looking very stern and somber the entire time. No, you'd clap your hands, you'd scream, you'd jump, you'd shout, you'd just be free to be who God created you to be. For some reason, we put on the fake smile sometimes in the church walls, but then we get all tight spiritually, right? Like, it's like we feel like locked down. And I felt, you know, over these past couple months in my own personal life, and then as a church as a whole, we've just fallen into like a little bit of a rut, with just maybe a little too somber, a little too stern. So for these next couple weeks, as long as the Lord wants to release it, we're going to talk about the joy of the Lord. Now, I know uh, many of you probably thought this was for Pastor Chris and the kids. No, this is for us. We need to learn how to smile a little bit more and enjoy who we are in Christ. Now, we're done. We finished the uh, summer advance rediscovering normal Christianity, but we're not even close to being done talking about normal Christianity. We're going to keep building and building and building upon it. But it is. It's normal for Christians to have joy. It is not normal for Christians to be filled with anxiety, with worry, with sadness, being somber. It's actually normal for us to have joy. You know, when you think about it, it's not more holy to be serious and contemplative all the time. It's not more spiritual to be somber because this is the labor of your love. It's not attractive to unbelievers for you to say, well, I'm just bearing my cross again today. No, the Bible actually says to cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. It says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So our personalities and our lifestyle can actually carry that as an example to others who desperately need Jesus. I guarantee you this, if you are known to be a person of joy, you will lead many more people to Jesus than if you are seriously considering the ways of the Lord. 
Now, when I say that, I'm not saying to take it easy. I'm not saying to not fear the Lord. I'm not saying to not sacrifice for the Lord. I'm not saying to not get before God and repent of your sins and cry to him and cry out to him. I'm not saying that there's not serious times. What I'm saying, the root of the Christian life, there should be joy. Now, for me, if many of you know, I was, a, I was called by God to be an elementary school teacher before I was called into ministry. So my sweet spot really is teaching to a classroom of like 20 or 30, either students or adults. The reason why I was thinking about this last couple of weeks, the reason why I like that is the interaction. I like that I can teach people and the, you know, their kids, their, their eyes would lighten up and they'd shake their head if they were understanding something. I would tell if they didn't understand something, they could talk back, they could ask questions. And it was a, com- it was a conversation. I've said this many times, I'm not even necessarily comfortable with hundreds of people staring at one person talking. In this environment, you might not be uh, even comfortable responding back, but I want to challenge you to not respond for my sake, not respond because I'm performing well, or not respond to, to give me a pat on the back, but I want you to respond in your own personality, right? We don't need a, uh, we don't need a clap track, but I want you to be able to respond because as you're saying, That's a good word. As you're saying, amen. It's like you're catching a ball in your glove and saying, I'm keeping that for me. So what you're doing is when something, when the word of truth is spoken to you and you're receiving it for you personally in your heart, it's okay to do this. It's okay to raise your eyebrows. It's okay to smile at me. It's okay to say, that's a good word. Again, you're not responding for my benefit. You're responding because you're actively engaging with the word of God that's being taught to you. So you're saying, I receive that for my life right now. And you'll watch that thing take off in your life. You know, many of you parents, if you ever were talking to your child one-on-one and you were teaching them a new skill, a new trait, uh, something for their character, whatever it is, when they're looking back at you, if their eyebrows are raising, if they're shaking their head, or if they're asking questions, if they understand or they don't, you know that you're engaging with them because of their response, right? If you are pouring their heart, your heart out to them and teaching them and they sat there like this, the entire time, you would know it's not getting through or you would at least think that. Now, whenever my, one of my sons or my daughter like responds like that, if we're talking about God's word or whatever, with character or whatever, I don't leave there and say, wow, they responded. I'm the best dad in the whole community. (laughs) Their response doesn't build me up. Their response encourages me to pour out more because they're getting it, right? So I I, I will never, you know, I'm not not the the proclamation type preacher where I'm going to have you on your feet clapping and screaming hallelujah. It's not who I was designed to be by God. So I don't ever want to fake that. I'm not trying to conjure up a response from you guys. What I would like is for us to loosen up on a Sunday morning a little bit, and it's okay to respond. It's okay to receive what God is sharing specifically with your heart and simply say, that's good, or smile at me, or shake your head. Amen? Woo! All right, that was good. All right, when you look at that word joy, and I don't want to fake it either. Now we got people holding up signs and stuff. You'll see the word joy up on the screen there. Joy is the state of delight and well-being that results from personally knowing God. So look at that. It's it's a state of delight and well-being. It doesn't mean everything's always going to work out for you. It doesn't mean you always have a reason to smile because of your external circumstances. It means because you personally know God, that is your reason to smile. You think about it, joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. 
It's the satisfaction of knowing that you are his and he is yours. This is true biblical joy. It's normal in the Christian life to have joy. Other words for joy in different translations that you might be reading. There's joy, there's rejoicing, happiness, pleasure, delight, gladness, enjoyment, fulfillment. How many of you want that type of life? How many of you want to be known for that type of life, right? They're a happy person. Wow, how do they go through all of that and still put a smile on their face and not fake it? It's because of the joy of the Lord. Now, joy can be an emotion. I think we know that. That type of emotion, it's caused by successful or favorable circumstances. We see in Matthew chapter 18, these won't be on the screen, uh, there's a shepherd that experienced the emotion of joy when he found his sheep. In Luke chapter 13, the crowd felt joy when a woman who was crippled was healed. In Acts chapter 8, the entire city of Samaria broke out in joy when revival broke out. Philip came, he taught, he performed miracle signs and wonders. It says the entire city was overfilled with joy. I love what Pastor Vicky said, that the streets were filled with joy, not because we showed up, but because the kingdom of God within us showed up. But we have the responsibility and the privilege and the opportunity to host that well. How would people describe the kingdom of God based on how you are interacting with them? Will your office complex, will your house, will your community be filled with joy because the kingdom of God is working through you? Now, there's also an attitude of joy. This attitude of joy is what we're talking about, true biblical joy. It is a deeper, more consistent joy. Now, the emotion of joy cannot be commanded, right? We can't say like, smile and be happy right now. Like that does not work. But in scripture, the attitude of joy is actually commanded over and over again. And this is where we get it wrong. We want to feel happy. We want to feel good. We want to wake up and no headache and the hair is done right. You don't need to put any makeup on. Your outfit's picked out for you, right? That's how we, want, that's how we think of when we think of joy. No, the attitude of joy is biblical joy and it's actually commanded. In Proverbs 5.18, it tells the reader to rejoice with his wife. No circumstances are given. This could have been right after he got a really long honeydew list. But the command is rejoice with your wife. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus tells his disciples to rejoice when they're persecuted and hated. He's setting them up. He's not just saying, hey, just feel happy all the time. He's saying, choose to rejoice even when you're persecuted and when you're hated for following me. In James 1 verse 2, it says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. This is clear evidence right now. Not everything's gonna go right. We're not setting you up for failure. We're not setting you up for disaster. We're just saying, in this life, we will have troubles. We will have trials, but we know who's overcome. So he's saying, when you're facing these testings of your faith, have joy, consider it joy. Why? So we consider the problem joy? No, we see the prize. We see perseverance. We see growth in the Lord. We see what's coming. And because of that, we can have joy. It's knowing that you've won. It's knowing that whatever comes and attacks you, you know the end result. So through that, you can have joy even through these situations. The most clear evidence of joy we see as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when you think about joy, joy is a gift 
from our Father in heaven. It's all wrapped up in the Holy Spirit that we receive when we accept him as Lord and Savior of our life. Joy is a package of fruit that should actually be evident in the everyday life of a Christian. We shouldn't be happy on a good day and then sad or somber, depressed, anxious, worried about life all the other days. Joy should be evident in our everyday life. So I want to look at three verses. Hebrews chapter 12, you can read it in your own translation. You can circle it, underline it, whatever. I'm going to read out of the uh, New International Version for this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. A lot of times we will focus in on the runner of this race, but I actually believe the most effective way to experience biblical joy is to first have a strong conviction that Jesus himself was filled with joy. If we can't picture Jesus having joy, there's no way we'll demonstrate it to other people. So in Hebrews chapter 11, which we're not going to touch on, it was an entire, it's called the hall of faith, right? It's all of the, not all of the, but many men and women of great faith throughout the Bible, their exploits of faith, their obedience to God and what God has done through their lives. And then it goes right into Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just going to read the first three verses. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that means they would understand that as being a group of people, that great cloud in their day, they would have understood that. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that was marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For, or who, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the hand of the throne of God, the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, this is Jesus, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, if we understood the context here, running was one of the most uh, uh, popular competitions of the day. So what would happen, the competitors through intense training and preparation had no extra weight on them. They didn't have the spare tire that many of us have. They, they ran, they trained, they stripped everything else off. In fact, they actually ran unclothed in those days. The place prepared for the race was called a stadium, which many of us have now today that we know of. But the reason why it was called that is because it equaled a stadium in length. That's 600 Greek feet. So the stadium was oval on most of the sides. and There was one straight side, one flat side. So what would happen is these racers, they would come into the stadium and there would be this one pillar that would start the race and, and all the other place was oval. Now at the end, on both sides was the great witnesses, right? It was all the spectators, thousands upon thousands of people. So when these racers would enter the stadium, they would hear this crowd, they would hear this applause, they would hear this roar spurring them on to run their race. All the way down at the other end of the stadium was the judge, and the judge held the prize. So as all the spectators are watching the racers, the racers aren't concerned with the spectators. The racers aren't concerned with each other. The racers are focused on that judge because they know that he holds the prize. The first one that gets to the prize gets to testify about all this training, about all this work that they've done, that every moment was worth it because they received the prize. 
So if you look through this, in the verse 1, it says that there was a great cloud of witnesses. These are the people of faith that have already gone before us. They've already run their race. They've already received their reward in part. But now they're cheering us on. How many of you know it's just a lot more fun to do sports activities when someone's cheering you on? It's more fun to do anything in life when somebody's encouraging you, lifting you up, saying, you can do it. Come on, one more time. I got, you know, and just continuing to spur you on, fanning your flame. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's this great cloud of witnesses that knows that we will not get our full reward, the fullness of the inheritance to see him face to face until we are all together as one. So we have this cloud of witnesses, and even us who are still on earth, we are to be used to be encouragers of one another, to spur each other on, to fan that flame, to be encouragers in everything that that other person is doing in their life. But there's this great cloud of witnesses. Now he encourages us to throw everything off that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. So what does this have to do with joy? This could be a message on repentance. It could be a message on avoiding sin. What does this have to do with joy? When you think about it, when you let all that stuff come on your life and distract you, and you let that, the weights of life weigh you down, and you allow sin to entangle you, guess where all of your focus is going to be? It's going to be on your baggage. and It's going to be off of Jesus, and you're going to lose your joy. So I believe it's time. In fact, we could think about it right now. If we said, what are two or three things that you have let, you, let weigh you down in life? You could probably name them one after another. So if we can name those things so quickly, why can't we take them to the Lord and say, I'm casting my cares upon you. I'm taking the burden and the yoke upon, off of me and putting it upon you because your word says that I can't. I do. I believe it's actually time to take action on that and strip from our lives the distractions, strip from our lives the weights that are weighing us down and ask the Lord to take away the temptation, to strip away addiction, to strip away any type of habits that you know are entangling your life. I believe that includes radio networks that some of you are listening to that 100% of the time it raises your blood pressure. It does not lead to anything healthy. The only reason why you should listen to the news right now is for intercession. To know what's going on is to know how to pray because nothing else is going to be healthy as you listen to it. How many of you can agree with me? You walk away mad, you're mad at that person, you're mad at the government, you're mad. That's not healthy. That's a distraction that puts you off of your race. Teenagers, maybe adults too, music. Some of you need to strip away and throw to the side the music you're listening to. I did this as a kid too. Wow, the beat's really cool. I like how it flows, so we'll listen to it. No, listen. The songs are filled with lyrics that represent a lifestyle that you are completely against. That's going to take you off your race. That's going to weigh you down. I think one of the hardest parts too are the people that you're around. There are joy suckers in your life that sometimes we just need to part with. I'm not saying don't be a good witness to them. I'm not saying be a representation of the joy of the Lord. What I'm saying is, is they have your ear too much and they're speaking into you and they're taking you off of your race. So the instruction is clear. There's people cheering us on. You have the opportunity to cheer somebody else on and we could throw off everything that hinders us 
so we can run our race well. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So we're called to run, right? We're called to advance. It doesn't say ever to move back. We're always called to make progress in the kingdom of God, to advance his kingdom and continue to occupy until he returns for us. We're not in charge or responsible for when he returns. We are responsible for hosting the presence of God well to allow them to see the smile on our face and the smile on our heart so they want to know the Jesus that we follow. But I love what this says. So the command here, if you look in the original language, the, the, the emphasis isn't even on perseverance so much as it is, let us run. Let us run, let us move, let us make progress. But what it says here is the race marked out for us. I believe another top killer of joy is envy, competition, comparison, and jealousy. As we, okay, God, thank you for this lane. Thanks for my outfit. I'm ready. I stripped everything off. Now I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And wait a minute, I like their outfit a little bit better. Wait a minute, they're running faster than me. Wait, they had better training components than I did and better equipment. And what we start to do as Christians As we start comparing spirituality, we start comparing our possessions, we start comparing our bank accounts. And what does that do? It forces us to look at other lanes that were not designed for you to run. Right? Like, why can't we be satisfied with the one perfect divine lane that your creator has given you to run and just run it well? What's going to happen if a racer is running in a lane and starts looking at the other runners? They're they're going to get off path. They're going to lose focus. They're going to slow down. We got it. Listen, we we have to catch this. Jesus is not comparing you to anyone else. So be set free from comparing yourself to anyone else. Right? So think about this. You have the personality that God wants you to have. You have the looks that God wants you to have. You're at a place right now, unless you're operating in disobedience, you're at a place where God wants you to be. And guess what? If you know you're living in disobedience, you repent of it and just come back into the Father's arms. He's ne- Jesus will never look at you and say, well, look at your neighbor. They pray three hours and you only pray one hour. <laughs> your wife, she memorized twice as many scriptures as you. Look at you. Jesus never once would do that. But we, we, let, we let it kill our joy. There'll always be someone else with more joy. There'll always be someone else with more money. There'll be someone else that's further along. So we just have to stop looking at other lanes and know, be thankful, God, you loved me enough to bring me to this earth and give me a lane to run. And I can do that with joy. So it says in verse two, to let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So listen, you have people cheering you on. You have an invitation to throw off everything that's hindering you. You have a uniquely designed lane for you to run. And now you have a perfect target. You have the champion of the world as your target. Can you picture that? It's one of those old coliseums, one of those stands you walk in. As you get closer and closer, the fans are cheering and cheering and you line up and this is your lane and you're ready to go and you lift up your eyes and that is your target, the champion of the world. 
we have the opportunity to fix our eyes. That word fixed is like locked in place, not moving from left to right. You're going to stare at him. You're going to focus on him and you're going to see him all the way until you race. It says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He hasn't failed us once and he never will. He hasn't given up on us once and he never will. You know, instead of feeling bad about something, when you hear, well, I wish I did have more joy. I've been grumpy and now I feel even worse about it. Instead of feeling like that, just refocus, right? Jesus is like, don't waste your time feeling bad about feeling bad. Just look up. Just refocus. Take a moment right now. It's called repentance. It's changing the way you think about how your attitude has been, how my attitude's been, and just look up and focus and fix your eyes once again upon the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we have great reason to, because it goes on in verse two to say, who for the joy. This is a state of joy. This word also means gladness and great happiness. It is so hard for our our minds, our Western mindset to think that Jesus was approaching this cross, this, this place of suffering, this sinner's death with happiness and great joy. Isn't that hard for us? Can you admit that? It's very hard for me. We've seen the movies. We've seen the, the, the posters and everything else. It's hard for us to, to conjure up that thought. But we have to actually admit Jesus had joy. He was able to face the cross and endure the cross and even disarm the shame that he could have put on himself because he had joy. So what was the joy set before him? Read it out. It says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, setting aside, disarming its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was his actual joy? What was his reward? What was the joy set before him? It was his ability to sit down at the right hand of God. Now, when you think about that, that might seem actually self-serving until you realize him sitting at the right hand of God wasn't for him. It was for you. So Jesus's joy was you. His reward is you. His great trophy is to have you right with his heavenly father. That is what allowed him to take upon himself the beatings and the sufferings and the nails going through his wrists and his feet. It was for you. If we could just get a glimpse of Jesus walking toward Jerusalem, knowing what was going to happen days, and then as the whipping started and the crown gets placed, if we can picture him having joy through all of that because he saw himself sitting at the right end of the Father, now in a place of intercession for us, and all of that joy was for us. And now we can have that same joy looking and fixing our eyes upon Jesus because we know our great reward is him. How you picture Jesus is what you're going to replicate when you represent him to others. So there's a picture that will be up here. And I don't mean to be funny by showing it, but so many people see Jesus as sad and gloomy. I think one of the great mistakes of the movies, and there are some really good movies out there uh, about the Jesus film, The Passion of Christ. There's been a lot. I think one great mistake that these, these movie makers made is he looks like this most of the time. So what we do is we look at him as always serious, always stern, 
right? We look at him, he corrected the Pharisees. He turned over the tables. He rebuked his disciples. But we have to understand that the root of all of that was actually joy. It was actually joy. So what we need to do is re-envision our savior of who he really is. And you'll see that in the next picture. A savior of joy. This is actually what he looked like more times than not, I believe, while he was on this earth. So I have to ask myself, why is it so hard for me? Why is it so hard for Christians to picture him with a big fat smile on his face? Why is it so hard to picture him belly laughing over a good, clean joke? Why is it hard for us to picture him going up and tickling children? Jesus was filled with joy. So he did not do that doing this. He was in a good mood. He cared for people. He had compassion on people. He loved being around people. I bet you he even hugged more people than Pastor Todd. I don't know. He wasn't here. He's not anymore. He loved being around people. It didn't drain him, frustrate him. Oh, here come all the people again. Jesus was happy. You know, out of all the movies, I, I haven't seen like tons, but out of the few movies I've seen that, that, that featured Jesus, like it was about Jesus, there was probably a five-second clip in one of them. It was in The Passion of Christ when Jesus was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old, and he flicked his mom uh, with a towel and then like kind of ran out of there. And I'm thinking, what if Jesus in his sinless state was actually ornery? <laughs> like, what if he actually joked around with his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters? What if he wasn't the stoic, straight-walking person that we always think? We need to get a picture of Jesus full of joy. And then maybe we'll have joy ourselves. In Hebrews 1, chapter 9, this is explaining a prophecy that was given back in Psalm 45. And it was talking about Jesus. It says this, you, talking about Jesus, have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you, Jesus, above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. So in the Old Testament, oil, anointing oil, dealt with happiness and consecration. It was like the coronation of a king. He would just get oil splattered all over them. They didn't sit there in all seriousness while that was happening. There was a huge feast and a party and a celebration because a new king had taken over the throne. And that's what, the, that's what, they, uh, that's what the, the people reading the Bible understood at that time. So what these verses are saying is, is that Jesus was set above everyone else on the face of the earth with the most joy out of anyone else. Now, the great part that we have is once we come into Christ and he's our Lord and Savior, we're hidden in him. So we have access to that same level of joy. He's not saying I'm more joyful than you and you're just down there. You're still on earth. I'm happy I'm at the right hand of my father. No, we're one with Christ. It's a part of our inheritance to have the joy of the Lord. So why did he have this oil of joy? Well, earlier in the verse, it says that he loved righteousness and he hated wickedness. He was able to carry a true joy within him because he set everything else aside that would distract him from the race and he ran his race. We have that same invitation. Throw off anything else that would hinder us. Remove the sin that would entangle us. Repent of it. Confess it to the Lord. Don't hide it from him. Don't say I could do this on my own. Confess it to the Lord. Repent of it and then move forward in freedom and joy. So say, say this with me. Say Jesus was happy. Jesus was happy. Say Jesus smiled, a lot. Jesus smiled a lot. 
Say, Jesus knew how to have fun. Like, check this out. Sinners would invite him to their parties. Check out, check out the people in your life that's still party heavy. They are not inviting you to their parties. Jesus, without sin, in all holiness, knew how to be around sinners and draw them to his side. He had a presence about him that people enjoyed being around. Never once did somebody say, well, Jesus, I'm not sure if I'm going to follow you because I have to give up all of my fun. But how many times have you like heard that, right? I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to give up my fun. Maybe they're not seeing us as Christians knowing how to have fun and just walk in the joy of the Lord. Back in the last verse that I'll share here, Adam, you can come up with your team. In verse three, it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So just follow this verse out. You're considering Jesus who endured all of this hardship, though walked through it all in joy. As you're considering what Jesus has done, as you're picturing the pain, the suffering, the cross, the beating, the torture, you're considering all those things And wrapped up in that is someone who was still exceedingly, had exceedingly abundant joy. When we consider that, our problems look a lot smaller. It's saying that, right? This verse is saying this. Consider him who did all of this with joy so you don't grow tired, so you don't grow weary, so you don't leave the lane, so you don't compare yourself to anybody else, so you don't slow down, so you don't let all the weights come on you. Just consider him. You know, the easiest way to consider him is to keep your eyes fixed on him. I do not believe for a moment that Jesus woke up in the emotion of joy every day. I believe that he chose to have joy. I will walk in a state of joy. That doesn't mean you're always giggling and like getting on people's nerves because you're obnoxious, right? Do you understand that? You can have, a, you can have a, a serious face and still have joy inside of you. I don't want you to like, go out and like burn yourself out today, like acting all crazy. I know, I know people that are very calm, very quiet personality, but walk in the true joy of the Lord. So through all this, we keep our eyes fixed on him. And to know there are people of faith that have gone before you that are cheering you on so that you could have joy knowing you have an invitation to throw off everything that hinders so you can have joy. You can run one specific race that was divinely designed for you so you could have joy. And we could fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who's been anointed with the oil of joy, so we could have joy. And when things get rough, we can consider him who has joy so we can choose to walk in that joy. We're gonna take communion together today. We, we left it off the front because Pastor Chris is commissioning. But if we think about like that powerful symbol, right? As we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we usually think of, and we, rightfully so, the beatings, the suffering, the blood. But we probably usually look at that as, as a man possibly with fear or a man that is you know, very stressed or anxious. As you hold the bread and the cup together today, I want you to picture Jesus with a smile on his face and saying to you, you're worth this. You're worth it. 
You're so worth it that I didn't go to the cross miserable. I went to the cross with joy because of you. You are Jesus's prize. It's amazing to me when you think about it. I want you just to bow your heads for just a moment, close your eyes. Before we even take communion, I just want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus for the very first time. In fact, maybe you've been waiting because you've seen Jesus as very sad and somber. Maybe you've been considering Jesus for months, maybe even years. I just want you, if this is your very first time, or if you feel far from God, maybe you've accepted Jesus once in your life, but you've just, you're far from him. It's basically admitting this. I'm coming to an end in myself. I'm sick of my old selfish and sinful ways. I'm asking Jesus to come into my life, to take charge, to be the Lord, to be the savior of my life, to give me joy. Think about it. He's about to forgive every one of your sins if you just say yes to him. Is there anybody in the room? We're not, I don't want to wait long. If there's anybody in the room that wants to receive Jesus for the first time or you know you're far from him and you want to come back, if you could just raise your hand with confidence, just look up at me with boldness today. I see you. Thank you so much. I appreciate how quick you were and how, how much confidence you have. Anyone else today just want to receive the joy of the Lord? You can put your hand down, ma'am. All right, I see. Anyone else that feels far from God, that wants to come back to the Lord, or anyone else for the very first time? All right, well, I want to pray right now. And what I want you to do, if you raised your hand today after service, I just want you to come forward. There'll be a pastor or an altar worker here. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you want to recommit your life or give your life to him for the first time. We want to pray with you. We want to partner with you and just help you take your very first steps. Ushers, you can make your way down. Heavenly Father, we just pray right now as we take communion, as we look at this bread and we look at the cup and we see the suffering, we see the blood, we see the pain, let us also see the joy of the Lord. Let us see us as your prize, as your reward. In Jesus' name, we pray. Please wait and hold the elements together and we'll take them at the end.
doesn't this deserve joy? The blood he shed and the beatings he took ripped you out of the hands of Satan, gave you victory over sin and death and sickness and disease and depression. It might feel awkward to actually take this with a smile. This act, this declaration should bring us more joy than anything else in the Christian faith. This is what makes it possible to be one with him, to be called a child of God. So Paul recounts this, and he says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, even in his betrayal, he had joy. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke, and he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Why don't we take the bread together today? Corinthians chapter 11 verse 25 it says in the same way after supper he took the cup he says this cup is the new covenant in my blood a cup that will never end that will never be broken he says do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes why don't we take the cup together now why don't we stand at this time Why don't you put a big fat smile on your face and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for setting me free. Thank you for giving me victory over the enemy. Amen.
good. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.